Uh, well, good morning again. Um, so, so I was asking, uh, did you have a good night's sleep last night? Some of us, some, some of you look like you did. Uh, others of us were uh, sort of partying into the night at the uh, Bernardo wedding yesterday and uh, and clearing up. So, can I ask you to be extra kind and gracious to the people who were there, kind of uh, uh, putting bin bags into their cars late into the night, um, and uh, particularly Kevin, Rachel, Nash, who were who have done loads to the end. So, um, uh, yeah, we, a lot of us were there last night, but it was a wonderful, wonderful day. And, uh, and God is good. And yeah, lots of hard work to do it, but a real privilege to, to serve and be part of it. So it was a Bernardo wedding yesterday, and um, it got me thinking about weddings. A few years ago, I spoke at a wedding, and I asked the question, what's the greatest way you can love someone? Uh, maybe think about that for a moment. What's the greatest way you can love someone? There's, there's, there's lots of different ways you can love someone. There's different relationships we have, and we, we, we love each other in different ways because uh, God's made us... Um, to be uh, different and individuals. Um, and there are different ways to express love. How many of you have heard of the five love languages? That's most, most of you, most of you. I'll, I'll go through them. So, so this is um, a book that was written that, that kind of goes through five of, of the main ways uh, that people express love in different ways. So five love languages. The first is kind and loving words. Kind and loving words, words of appreciation, uh, expressing your love through words. Uh, the second is quality time. Spending time together. Uh, thirdly, acts of service, practical acts of service. But the key to this one is doing things without being asked. Otherwise, it doesn't really sort of count if you, you have done it after the sort of 17th time of asking. Uh, but acts of service. Some people, uh, they, might not be, they might not express their love with words, but they might do it through doing things for other people. Uh, the fourth one is, is gifts, presents, giving, giving gifts. Uh, to people, and the fifth is physical touch, you know, hugs, that sort of thing. Some people are much more sort of uh, physical uh, touch for the way they express love uh, to other people. So I wonder, which one of those is yours? You might have thought about this before, maybe you've, you've read about this before. Which one of this is yours? What, what about those that you're closest to? You probably, you probably know what yours is. What about those that are closest to you, the people that you're closest to? What, what, what's the way that they express their love t- uh, to you? So mine is kind, kind and loving words. Uh, I always try and do that. I always try and say it through words, say thank you to people. I always choose cards that are really wordy, um, and Suze puts up with that. Um, but, and and Suze's love language is actually gifts. She loves choosing gifts for people. She loves choosing them. She loves uh, thinking about what, what, how they're going to enjoy it when they open it, what their face is going to be like when they see, when they open the gift. And she, even the wrapping and everything, it's, um, she loves doing it. And that's, that's her way of doing it. And I have to tell you, I have the best birthdays. <laughs> it's fantastic. You know, I get, I get what I ask for. And then there's always the, all these extra things that she's thought about that, that, uh, that I, I haven't, that, um, that's really, really good. So lots of different ways to express love. Um, but I actually think the greatest way to love someone is something else. And the, you know, the Bible actually answers this. Surprise, surprise. Um, there's one particular v- verse from the Bible that actually answers this question. John 15, 13. It says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And you know, Jesus said that and he went on to do it. That's the greatest way you can love someone. Um, you, to give up your life. Uh, to save someone else. If you think about that logically, it's difficult to argue with that, giving up your existence, laying down your life for someone else so someone else goes free. And, you know, Jesus went on to do that. So 
The Bible talks a lot about love, and I want to spend some time going through some of these verses. Uh, I want us to look at the famous passage um, about love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you've got a Bible, let's turn, let's just turn to that, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're just going to look at the first eight verses. So 1 Corinthians verse 13, I'm going to read from verse 1. And it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So let's, let's stop there. So let's look at the context of this passage. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's, he's setting them straight on a number of things that they're not getting right. And the context of this passage, it, it comes before and after Paul is speaking about spiritual gifts and how they, how they should be used in the church. So he's talking about love in this context. It's about how we are to be and do together as Christians. And the, the word for love in this passage is agape, which is to love. It means benevolence, goodwill, and esteem. In our English language, we have one word for love because we're boring, I guess. But, um, but the, the Greeks, um, they, they have, they have load, loads of different words for love. And in, in the Bible, there's, there's in, even in the Hebrew, there's loads of different, different words for love. And they, and they use different words to express some of the different uh, types of love and the way we express love. Um, so it's important that we understand that here when we're talking about love, agape, uh, benevolence, goodwill, and esteem. And The first three verses tell us why love is important in everything we do. Verse 1 says, if if I speak in tongues, if I'm moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I don't have love, or I don't exercise them in love, then I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Basically, a loud, irritating noise. But but there's a deeper meaning to this, because the church in Corinth will have recognized this uh, reference from pagan worship practices that they were involved in before they became Christians. So what Paul's basically saying here is that you you could be the most spiritual person in the world, you can be incredibly anointed, but if you don't exercise that in love, you're just like a pagan, you're just like you were before you became in Christ. That's That's quite a strong thing. It's basically saying that you haven't changed at all if you're not exercising it in love. So that's, that's quite a, a strong statement, really. And, and similarly, in verse 2, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I understand all mysteries, if I have all knowledge, and even if I have faith that moves mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Now, these things are impressive. These things should be sought after. I mean, who wouldn't want faith that moves mountains? But if knowledge and faith are not used in love, then we're nothing. You can have the best Bible knowledge. You can be the best Bible teacher in the world. You can have the most faith, the most incredible, powerful faith you know, for miracles. 
But if you don't have it in love, we're nothing. Verse 3 says, And if I sell all my possessions and give money to the poor, even if I surrender my body to be burned but don't have love, it profits me nothing. Again, that's a strong statement. Even if my works are so good, even if I sacrifice my body, it profits me nothing if I don't love, if I don't do these things in love. So to summarize these first three verses, even if I'm incredibly spiritual, if I move in the gift, if if I've got a strong anointing, if, if I have all knowledge and understanding, if my teaching is incredible, if I have the amazing good works, if I work really hard, if I, if I give to the poor, if I, if I sacrifice my own body, if I give up my life even, if I don't do it in love, it has no benefit. And it's a strong statement there, but, but Paul, he's, he, he's setting the Corinthians right on this. He's saying, look, the purpose of any gift from God is that it's used in love, in benevolence and goodwill towards others. So these first three verses, they tell us why love is important in everything that we, that we do. And really why God gives us gifts, why he gives us knowledge, why he, he enables us to do good works, is so that we use it in love but for the benefit of other people. So that's why love is important in everything we do. So what does love look like then? Well, in verses four onwards, uh, Paul tells us, and I want to go through each of these in turn and just touch upon them briefly. Uh, firstly, love suffers long. Some versions say love is patient. Love perseveres and endures. It doesn't give up if things are tough or not moving as quickly as we would like. It doesn't quit when things get hard. It keeps going. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Kindness is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit along with goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, love, joy, peace, all the rest. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves before we open our mouths or before we do something, is it kind? Because love is kind. Thirdly, love does not envy. Some versions say love is not jealous. It doesn't desire what it shouldn't. It doesn't grieve at the success of others. It's not looking to think, well, why, why, why are they benefiting? Why, why are they being blessed? Why have they got it all together? Why have they got it and I haven't? In fact, it, it, the opposite. It rejoices, it delights in when good things happen for other people. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It, does, it doesn't brag. It doesn't boast. It doesn't need to show off or declare how good it is. Love does not parade itself. Love is not arrogant. It's not, pr- it's not proud. Pride comes in many forms, and we all have it to some degree, and that's, that's, to be honest, that's another sermon for another day. But one of the dangers of pride is it, it can lead us to think that we're better than others. It can lead us to have, if we're not careful, it can lead us to have something in our hearts that says, well, actually, I know more than you, or I'm better than you, or I don't have to listen to you. But love is not arrogant. Love isn't proud. Romans 12 verse 3 says we should, not, uh, we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And that's, that's the attitude that we should have. Love is not arrogant. Love does not behave rudely or act unbecomingly. 
the translation of the, the original word here, it means to act improperly or indecently. But love doesn't behave that way. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. It's unselfish. Jesus modeled that in his life. If you look at the life of Jesus, he, just met, he met people's needs constantly. He would always go around uh, serving other people. And this, you know, this is the son of God. But he humbled himself. And he served other people. He just met other people's needs. He modeled that in his life. And, in, and thinking about marriage, love does not seek its own. Uh, many of you will know Mick LeBake, who was an elder here for many years. And one of the things he said to me, he said that you know, a lot of people say that marriage is give and take. But actually, it's give and give. If you both give, you both end up receiving. It's give and give. And, and I think with these verses, while, while, while this is read out at weddings and it's, it's, it's done in the context of uh, romantic relationships, really Paul's talking about the church here. And these, these things are the same for us in the church. And I think it's the same in the church. You know, it, we, sh- we should, it should be give and give in the church. We should serve one another. So if, we all, if we all give, if we all serve, then we all receive. But love does not seek its own. Love, it's, it's unselfish. Love is not easily provoked. The translation of, of the word here means to sharpen, stimulate, or provoke, to arouse anger, provoke, or irritate. But love does not become angry easily. So I said, I said earlier that we, um, we were at the uh, Bernardo wedding yesterday and uh, Susan and I were uh, asked and honoured to be able to, to help out. And We got there early, we got there at nine o'clock and we were setting everything up and it was kind of, we were on our feet uh, pretty much for, for all of the day and then the service started and we had the reception which was great and the Kaylee afterwards. And then at the end we were, we were doing a pack down, we were clearing everything up and as you can imagine, it was a bit of a late night for us and uh, we had to solve all these problems like, uh, where do these go? We haven't thought about this. We've got bags of rubbish. Have we got enough room in, in, in the cars? Um, and it was late at night and we, we've, been, we've been there all day. We're just really, really tired. And finally, we got it all done. We got, got the rubbish bags in our car. We managed to just about do it. And we got in the car and I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm ready to go home. And my car wouldn't start. And it's at that moment where you're just like, why now? Why now? I just want to go home and sleep. And I, I was preaching, I knew I was preaching today. I was just like, Lord, why? Why is this happening? Um, and it's at, that mo- it's at that moment where, you know, it's, it's easy to become angry easily. And I, I don't know how well I modeled that last night. You'll have to ask Suze. Um, but I just had this moment where I just like, the ignition went, I was just like, oh, just let it all out at a groan. And um, thankfully, um, Kevin and Rachel were on hand to help us ju- jumpstart the car and we got home. I always have that thing where, you, where you've jumpstarted the car and you're just like, don't stall, don't stall, get the clutch down, be extra safe. And we got home. It was just a, it was just a really uh, late night. Um, but, you know, love is not easily provoked. Love does not become angry easily. And this, this reminds me of God because God, God is slow to anger. Isn't that wonderful? God is slow to anger. He's slow to anger with us in all our fallibility, in all our imperfection. He's slow to anger. It's interesting. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that he, he doesn't actually get, get angry. I mean, there, there are moments in Scripture where God does get angry righteously, um, but he's patient. 
He's patient. He, he, he gives us so much time and patience to come to him to repent. He gives us patience when we, when we mess up. He says, come on. It's like, it's like a toddler learning to walk. The toddler keeps falling down, but, but God is the perfect father. He says, come on, get up. Come on, walk with me. Come on, walk towards me. Come on, you can do it. You fall down again. It's okay. Come on, get up. And when we make mistakes, he says, it's okay, I forgive you. Let's start again. Walk with me. Learn how to walk with me. God does, he's slow to anger. And that's a wonderful thing. And for all of these things, well, again, I said that this, this stuff is used in, it's, it's spoken about weddings in the context of, you know, romance and stuff. But all of this stuff in terms of love, this is how God feels about us. Love is not arrogant. Love does not pay for, you know, love is kind. Love, love suffers long. Love does not pray. This, this is how God relates to us. Isn't that wonderful? God is slow to anger. And that's a wonderful thing. So lo- love is not easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. Or love keeps no accounts of evil. Or love does not take into account wrongs or evil that have happened. And some versions say, love does not keep a record of wrongs. And this, this can be a hard one for us. You know, we, we forgive people, not for the sake of the person who's wronged us, but for our sake and because Christ forgave us. Here's a question for us. Do we tend to remember the good or the bad things about how people have treated us in the past? It's easy to remember the bad things, where people have wronged us. But we need to choose to forgive and forget. We need to choose to remember the good. We need to choose to remember the good things that people have done for us because love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And if we're not careful, we can end up in our minds having a, having a sort of sin list of things that people have done to us in the past. But love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. God doesn't keep a record of wrongs. God doesn't remember our sins anymore. The thing thing is, God can't forget anything because he's God and he knows everything. But the thing is this, he chooses not to remember our sins. He chooses not to hold these things against us. The Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our transgressions from us. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. You know, and I, I... I, I struggle with these things. I've, I've had to repent of it. I've had to say, God, I'm sorry for where I've kept a record of wrongs. Um, because I, I've been told I have a fairly good memory, and it was one of the reasons why I was reasonably good at exams and things like that, because I could remember things when I needed to. And if you've got a good memory, the problem is, is that you can remember things that really God has told us to forget. And we have to forget. We have to forget. We have to let go. We have to forgive. Because love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And the wonderful thing is that God doesn't keep a record of wrongs. There, is, there isn't a list of our sins in heaven. God doesn't keep a record of them. The slate has been wiped clean. And we, we, we have to remember, we have to rejoice in that, and we have to be like that with one another because Jesus has done that for us. And that's a wonderful thing. Love does not rejoice in iniquity or unrighteousness, but rejoices in all truth. Love does not celebrate sin or evil. It delights in truth and goodness. And then we get to this quartet. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So let's look at each of them. Love bears all things. So this is similar to long-suffering. Love perseveres. It will be patient under provocation. Love believes all things. Here's a question for you. Do we give people the benefit of the doubt? Do we give people the benefit of the doubt? I'm not talking about a situation where you, you have evidence that someone has not told the truth and you know, you know they're not telling the truth. We don't, we don't want to believe things that we know aren't true. We don't want to believe things that we know are contrary to the Bible. But in terms of, uh, of how we are with each other, do we give people the benefit of the doubt when we're not sure? Do we judge people? Do we cho- or, or do we choose to believe where we have the opportunity to. Love believes all things. Love, love wants to act in faith. Love wants to believe for the best. Love wants the, the best out of people. And, and similarly, the next one, love hopes all things. It longs for goodness. It hopes for the best. It believes for the best. This is, this is really an outworking of faith. We live by faith. We walk by faith. We're commanded to walk by faith. Love hopes all things. Even in difficult circumstances, it hopes all things. Why? Because we know Jesus. Because we know that God supplies all our needs. Because we we can have joy. You know, joy is different to love in the sense that love depends on... Sorry, joy is different to happiness in the sense that happiness depends depends on circumstances and everything being good. But joy is, is the case of even when things are tough, I will rejoice because my God supplies all my needs, because, because I know that, that Jesus died for my sin, because I know that I'm going to heaven one day because of what he's done. Love hopes all things. It, it longs for goodness. It believes for the best. Love endures all things. Again, this is similar to long-suffering and perseverance. There's a difference between enduring and tolerating. For example, love, does, love doesn't tolerate all things in the sense that God does not tolerate sin. If he did, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Love doesn't tolerate all things, for example, sin. But love endures all things in the sense that it perseveres. It perseveres in difficult circumstances. It doesn't give up. And then finally, love never fails. Love never fails because God is love. Everything described in this passage tells us about the character of God. And we're to model his character in the way that we live. So these things really tell us how we should be with one another. With being together in ministry. With being together in service. And with being together in fellowship. And we're to speak the truth in love. Ephesians, this, that's what it says in Ephesians 4.15. We're to speak the truth in love. You know, the way we say things matters. The way we say things matters. We must speak the truth in love. This doesn't mean that we compromise what we believe. If we, know, you know, we don't want to say things that aren't, aren't true. We don't compromise what we believe, but we speak the truth in love. One of the lines I remember from doing the Freedom in Christ course we had a, a, a discussion question on the table, and it was this. It was, some people are all love and no truth, and, so, and other people are all truth and no love. But the, but the thing is, we need both. 
We need both. We need, we need truth and love. And the reason why is because of what Paul says at the start of this chapter. If I'm incredibly spiritual, if, I, if I'm a, an amazing teacher, if I've got great good works, but I haven't got love, it profits me nothing. We need truth and love. And praise God, we see that in Jesus. We see that in Jesus in the way he modeled his life. So we need to speak the truth in love. And another reason why it's important is that Jesus said this. He, he said, this is how people will know you are my disciples, by the way that you love one another. It's his commandment to us. It says that in John uh, chapter 12, 31 to 35. Uh, it's, it's Jesus' commandment to us. He said, love one another. And this is how people will know that you're my disciples. Now, some of you will know that I grew up in church, so my own testimony isn't really about what kind of sort of drew me to Christianity from outside. It's more about why I stayed up in church. And one of the reasons is because this is what I experienced. I experienced the love of God. I experienced love in this way, in the house of God. But from what I hear from other people who've come to church from the outside is that people don't, they don't give their lives to Jesus because of theological argument, although thinking through these things is important and preaching the gospel is obviously important. But they don't, they don't commit to Christ because of theology or what people say. It's because people are different. It's because you can see the goodness in their lives. It's because you, f- you can feel the love and you can see a difference in people's lives. That's what makes a difference. That's where it becomes real. It becomes a reality. It doesn't, it's not just an idea. It's a living reality. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we can... We can express this love so that we can show love to other people and glorify Jesus through doing so. And it's important that we have this in the church. No church is perfect because I'm, I'm in it and you're in it, <laughs> essentially. Essentially. Uh, because none of us are perfect. We've all, fall, you know, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And that's why we need the blood of Jesus to cover our sins. No church is perfect, and there I've I've seen I've seen you know I've seen mis- mistakes in the church, and there there are things which have happened which I think that was wrong, and I regret, and I've learned from. But I want to share one positive testimony. There was one there was one person who over the years in the children's and youth group he was he was a little bit different, and he was teased and bullied, and and unfortunately at, at times at church people joined in with that. But there was one Sunday morning, one of the youth meetings, someone felt led by the Holy Spirit to, to get up and confess and repent of what had been done. And, and they said to this person, I, just, I feel like we, we all need to say we're sorry to you for the way we treated you and ask for your forgiveness. And one by one, everyone said, I'm sorry. And the next person said, I'm sorry as well. I'm sorry for, for not loving you in the way that we should have done. And the wonderful thing was that, that day, relationships were restored. And that person went on to go on, you know, go on with God and be loved and accepted in the church. And, um, and he became one of my closest friends. And, you know, that's, that's how it should be in the house of God. That's how it should be. You know, where we, even where we're not perfect, where we, we forgive one another and we have reconciliation. And broken relationships are mended and restored because of Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross so that we could be reconciled with God, 
and one another. And I just, I thank, I thank God through what he did. I thank, I thank the person for having the courage to get up and say it. And it's just that amazing moment where one by one, everyone, everyone said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm not, please forgive me. I'm not going to do it again. And from that moment, praise God, things changed. It's a wonderful testimony. And this is how people know that we're Jesus' disciples, by the way that we love one another. Love is a decision as well as a feeling. There are moments where we don't feel like loving people in the way that God wants us to. Like, like the moment I had last night where I'm tired and, and things are going wrong. There are moments in life where we come under pressure. These, these things are, when, when we go through these verses, if you're calm and everything's, everything's fine, you think, oh yeah, that's fine, yeah, I can do that. But it's when life gets tough. It's when there are moments that are tough, when we're tired, when we're, when, when we're in difficult circumstances. And the thing is, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Love is a decision as well as a feat. There are moments where we have to decide to do it even when we don't feel like it. Because we're obedient. Because Jesus, we've made Jesus Lord of our lives. So love is a decision as well as a feeling. So how do we love this way? How do we act this way? Well, the only way is to let God transform our hearts. To do this, we have to let him have our hearts. We have to give him our hearts. I was really glad that we sang that song today, Lord, I give you my heart. We have to, we have to give him our heart. That's hard. Because we have to be vulnerable. We have to give him our, we have to give him our hearts. But when we do, he'll, he'll change us. He'll transform us. We have to be vulnerable. It's hard because we have to be vulnerable. But the wonderful thing is we can be vulnerable in the house of God. We can be vulnerable with one another because Jesus loves us and his love is perfect and we have his grace and his blood covers us and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. One of my favorite prayers is, Lord, help. (laughs) When you're tired, or you don't want to do things, I just say, Lord, help. Help me to walk as you want me to. Help me to have the attitudes that you want me to have. We've got to be honest with God. Sometimes we have to say, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm fed up. I don't feel like it. But I'm going to try because you're Lord of my life. Why don't we give God the opportunity to do this uh, in us now? I'm going to just close to pray. I'm going to hand over to Andy and Martin uh, to carry on leading the meeting and, and we'll have some worship. So I wonder if maybe the band might just come up while we pray, if that's all right. Why don't we just um, close our eyes for a second and be still and focus on Jesus. Just take a moment to let the Lord speak to us. I wonder what God said to you today. Maybe he's given you something for yourself. Maybe he's given you a word for the church. There'll be an opportunity to share that if that's the case. Maybe there are some things that God has highlighted for you to work on. Or maybe there's someone close to you who perhaps hasn't treated you in the way that you'd hoped. 
this is an opportunity for us to let God minister to us now. God, God wants to bring healing to, to you in your life, if that's you. Whatever it is, God wants to bring healing and wholeness to your life. I just have a sense today that, that maybe there's some people, you, that you're feeling, maybe there are areas of your life where you're feeling broken. Maybe there's just, God, I just feel, I feel broken at the moment. It could just be a particular area in your life. I just get a sense today that God wants to heal your brokenness. Whatever you're going through, God wants to heal your brokenness. He wants to give, he wants to give you the love, this type of love we've been, been hearing about today. This amazing love that is patient, that endures, that is slow to anger, that doesn't keep a record of wrongs, that is kind. If you're struggling today, if you've got burdens you're carrying, if you've got heaviness, if you're feeling broken, let him restore you today. Let him mend your heart today. So Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for your word and I thank you so much for your love to all of us. It's wonderful. We need it. It, it, it sustains us in our lives. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you will minister to us this morning. That you will bring healing where healing is needed that you'll bring wholeness where there is brokenness. And where there is weariness, you will bring rest and life. In Jesus' name, amen.